welcome back to the formal review. Today, we'll be having a very special episode. Now sit back, maybe grab a drink, and let's talk about this movie. What's up, everyone? I have shed innocent blood. Welcome. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, sorry about that. We all go a little mad sometimes. Welcome back to the former review. This is season four, episode 18, and I thank you all for tuning in once again. Now, happy October, everyone. We have reached the first full month of fall. Makes me want to buy school supplies. I would send you a bouquet of newly sharpened pencils if I knew your name and address. So with October, obviously, comes Halloween. And you dig it? <laughs> so with that, what I'm going to be doing over the course of this next month is be looking back at Halloween slash horror movies. Now, these movies were chosen by all my followers. You voted, and these are the films that you chose. And I thank you very much for casting your vote. I'm your number one fan. So the first analysis was on 1968, Rosemary's Baby, and the last analysis was on 2019's Midsummer's The Director's Cut, which I hadn't seen before. Now this analysis will be a two-parter on 1980's The Shining and 2019's Doctor Sleep. So stay tuned. Now before I get into anything, I do want to preface this episode with a big spoiler warning here. If you haven't seen either of these two films, I'm going to go into a lot of analysis on this. So this film would be potentially ruined for you. And so I do suggest go watch both of the films prior to hearing what I have to say about it because this episode will ruin both of them for you. However, with the, the first film, it, it did come out in 1980, so you've had a bit of time there. But with the sequel in 2019, it's only been two years, so just as a big warning you definitely should watch the film first before hearing what i have to say about it because i will spoil a bunch of things there but if you don't care about that keep listening also i know i talk about this at the end but the data shows that most people don't listen to that part so i want to talk about it here and reiterate the importance of leaving reviews on your favorite subscription services i do read those because i do want to grow because these episodes are really for all you listeners out there and i want to keep this entertaining so what do you want to hear do you want to hear games do you want to hear more of the four stuff do you want to hear me talk about a certain movie if you want to come on and talk to me about something for you want to debate i'm always open to do stuff like that so you can always reach out to me on social media i always want to grow and improve and just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved so if there's something that you want me to improve on let me know and i will grow as such anyway so the shining is a 1980 psychological horror film produced and directed by stanley kubrick and co-written with novelist diane Jones. Johnson. Now I have seen this film before numerous times. So the film is based on Stephen King's 1977 novel of the same name and stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, and Danny Lloyd. Now the novel was King's third published story and was his first hardback bestseller and it firmly established him as this big author in the horror genre. I mean the story with its setting and its characters is influenced by King's personal experience at the standard Stanley Hotel that he visited in 1974 and has also struggles with alcoholism. Now the book is somewhat similar to the film in that it's about Jack Torrance who is 
struggling writer and recovering alcoholic who starts a position as this off-season caretaker of the historic Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. Now his family joins him on this job, including his son, Danny Torrance, who has, who possesses, quote, The Shining, which is a psychic ability that allows him to see the hotel's kind of horrific past. Now, a winter storm leaves them stranded, and then supernatural forces inhabit the hotel, and Jack Torrance's sanity and puts his wife and son in incredible danger. So this book was positively reviewed, and then fast forward three years, when Kubrick's film was released. However, King was not a fan and he spent many years publicly criticizing it. And this is mostly due to the fact that Kubrick had managed to make the film his own and really deviated a lot from King's original vision. While making this film, Kubrick wanted to use the novel as a starting point and he didn't read King's original screenplay and he didn't even want to elaborate with him on a new one. And Kubrick famously said that his reason for this was because, quote, if you read a story someone else has written, you get the irreplaceable experience of reading it for the first time. And this is something you obviously cannot have if you write an original story." End quote. Now, in a documentary titled A Night at the Movies, The Horrors of Stephen King, King discussed a phone call that he had with Kubrick. Stephen, Stanley Kubrick here. Don't you agree that all stories of ghosts are fundamentally optimistic? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, if there are ghosts, it means we survive death. And that's fundamentally an optimistic view, isn't it? And I said, well, Mr. Kubrick, what about hell? And there was a long pause on the telephone line. And then he said in a very stiff and very different voice, I don't believe in hell. And this kind of showed how they really differed when it came to their artistic visions. King was more into traditional and biblical representations of good and evil and how ghosts and demons relate to that. And Kubrick was more pessimistic and had this more nuanced idea of what horror was. And this has really shown how they treated the Jack Torrance character. King wanted to show that Torrance was inherently a good person who was pushed into a certain way of thinking and losing sanity by some sort of evil force. Now, Kubrick changed this by making him essentially a psychopath, as he thought the horror of humanity was more horrifying, if you will. King has also said that, I used to describe The Shining, the film, as something like a beautiful car that had no engine in it. Now, his biggest issue with this, again, is with the Torrance arc or lack of one. In his story, it ends up being more of a tragic story because of how he establishes his characters. Now, in the film, there isn't so much a big change with Torrance's character. And honestly, with somebody who wrote the original story, changing something like that can really influence somebody's opinion from the negative to positive. And King said that, quote, the movie has no heart, there's no center to the the picture I wrote the book as a tragedy and if it was a tragedy it was because all the people loved each other here there's no tragedy because there's nothing to be lost end quote however even so it is still regarded as one of the greatest horror films ever made and it is a staple in pop culture when it was originally released it grossed only 47 million dollars on a 19 million dollar budget and then in 2001 AFI had it on its as number 29 on its 100 years 100 thrills list and in 2003 Jack Torrance was 
was ranked as 25th villain of all time on AFI's 100 Years 100 Heroes and Villains list. Then in 2005, Here's Johnny! was number 68 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes list. Then in 2018, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant, end quote. Now as of this recording, The Shining has an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes after 96 critic reviews with a score of 8.5 out of 10 and a 93% after over 250,000 audience reviews with a rating of 4.5 out of 5. The critic consensus states that, quote, though it deviates from Stephen King's original novel, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is a chilling and often baroque journey into manic exemplified by an unforgettable turn from Jack Nicholson, end quote. Interestingly though, on Metacritic, it only has a score of 66 based on 26 critic reviews, but an 8.8 from 1004 audience ratings and only the user score has the film as quote universal acclaim. Now why is this? Why do fans love this movie so much and it seems that critics don't like it as much? Well one could say that's obviously due to the difference between what makes a critically acclaimed film but this is obviously based on how it was originally released and looking back at the original and views on films obviously change over time and this is one of the films that has obviously changed over time and the rating for this obviously has gone up in recent years and you could honestly ask anyone why they love this film and the answer usually comes up the same and that it is absolutely still thrilling even today in 2021. This film is really a great example of a film that has countless interpretations due to its complex and enigmatic nature and the most frightening thing about this film is that the people in the situations that happen in the film seem completely normal and this is again an example of realistic horror. I've mentioned this idea before with the Rosemary's Baby and Midsummer analyses but I'll reiterate it here in case this is your first time listening. Horror films can be put into either fantastic or realistic categories. The former is about creating new fears in an audience such as a boogeyman or a monster. The latter deals with fears and how we have about ourselves and the world that we actually live in. It takes something that we take for granted and then takes that away. Now unfortunately a lot of current so-called horror films are more in the former category of fantasy. They rely on jump scares and big imagery rather than focusing on the story. Realistic horror films have somewhat taken a backseat but have started to come back recently with Aster Smith's Summer, Get Out, Candyman, and honestly Doctor Sleep which I'll talk about in a little bit. Now films like The Shining in the 1980s and 1970s were able to bridge the gap between horror fantasy and horror realism. They took the scary aspects of the fantasy part and combined them with the very grounded story of the current world that they were living in at the time which makes the horror more horrific. And this film really did add to that genre. It relies on this slow build and this each moment that builds on the last keeps the close to two and a half hour runtime absolutely thrilling to watch and frankly The Shining has very little violence it's just the environment that keeps you in it and you don't understand what's going on because you look at the Jack Torrance character the way he arches his eyebrows we know at the beginning that he's going to go after his kid because of how we've been kind of prone to think but 
that's not the part that's scary. Kubrick basically creates this space in which we are in. He doesn't give all the information away, but he gives enough to make the audience mind wander. They're left to fill in the blanks with their active imaginations. And of course, as he wants, the audience will fill them with pure dread. Now he does this by creating this space that shows the viewer where they'll be in the film and then shows how the most frightening aspect in this moment is not knowing where to go. And so he starts off the film with a tour of the hotel to give guidance not only to Jack's character but also to the audience so that the viewers know everything about the hotel where the corridors lead. For example, ask yourself why are those famed steady cam shots of Danny pedaling down the hallways on his big wheel so creepy? Now this is because Kubrick showed in one scene where Danny turns a corner and has somehow gone from the first floor to what the audience would think to be the second floor. Another example is ask yourself why does Kubrick start the film with a helicopter shot following the Torrance family car up the mountain. Now this is to emphasize the isolation that they get into later on in the film. And this film essentially establishes this space that the viewer is in, only to take it away, and that's what scares the viewers the most. You think that you know where you are, but you actually don't. And this is supplemented by the amazing score. And this film was Kubrick's 11th feature film and was the fourth that also used a lot of borrowed music as the score. Now, the first of these was 1968's 2001 A Space Odyssey, then 1971's A Clockwork Orange, and then 1975's Barry Lyndon. So to tie everything together, he signed on Gordon Stanforth, who was the music editor on this film. Kubrick gave him a list of music that he wanted for the film that were pre-existing concert pieces by Kresinov Perdenrecki, Georgi Ligeti, and Bella Bartok. Sorry if I mispronounced those names. And he gave then a list of places in the film where he wanted their music to be and a short description of the cues that he thought would work best. Now, Stanford then took that and gave us a, the end result, which expands on the idea of music in a horror film and essentially uses the style and the timber of the music to give it more depth in the film spaces. And this is also supported by Nicholson's amazing performance as Torrance. While not his best performance of all time, it is perhaps his most memorable. He has this perfect madman grin that really shows how psychotic Torrance is. And the thing that Kubrick uses is the audience does not really know what causes his journey to madness. We only know that the hotel did it and how our mind creates reasons for things is the ultimate goal of Kubrick with this film. And Frank, he truly perfected here what many are after when it comes to horror films, sheer subliminal terror. Now fast forward to 2009 when Stephen King began development on a sequel to his famous novel. Then he said that he would be following a character from the original Danny Torrance who is now a 40 year old living in New Hampshire where he works as disorderly at a hospice and helps terminally ill patients die with the aid of his powers. Then on December 1st 2009 he created a poll on his website asking people to vote on which book he should write next, Doctor Sleep or the next Dark Tower novel. Now obviously Doctor after sleep ended up winning the poll with 5,861 votes. Then on September 24, 2013, the book was released. Now, the book reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list for print 
and ebook fiction, hardcover fiction and ebook fiction. Dr. Sleep then also won the 2013 Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel and has given many positive reviews and thus a film was progressed to be made. Now even with King's Displeasure, the first film, this 2019 film is both an adaptation of King's novel and a sequel of the 1980 film. Now because of this, it does make some changes to the plot in order to preserve continuity in Kubrick's obviously popular film. However, even with those changes, King still loved the result because it honored his vision of the story while also tying in the first film's greatness. The 2019 film also got the stamp of approval from the Kubrick estate. When it was released, it grossed $31.5 million in the United States and Canada and $40.7 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $72.2 million. This was on a budget between $30 and $55 million. Now on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 78 score based on 331 critic reviews with a rating of 7.1 out of 10 and an 89% score based on over 5,000 audience reviews with a rating of 4.3 out of 5. The critic consensus is, quote, Dr. Sleep forsakes the elemental terror of its predecessors for a more contemplative sequel that bounces poignant themes against spine-tingling chills, end quote. And on Metacritic, it has a score of 59 based on 46 critic reviews and a 7.1 based on 466 user scores. Now, there's some mixed ideas here of what's good. So I have seen the theatrical cut before, but my wife hadn't seen either the theatrical cut or the director's cut. And more on that in a little bit. So the sequel itself is set several decades after the events of the original and stars Ewan McGregor as Danny Torrance, man with psychic abilities who struggles with childhood trauma. It also stars Rebecca Ferguson, Kylie Curran, Cliff Curtis, and Cara Lumby. The film opens up with familiarity as we're reintroduced to the events of the first film with Danny and his mother Wendy who then move to sunny Florida in hope that they'll live a better and brighter life after their traumatic experience at the Overlook Hotel. Now unfortunately Danny still has issues with his gift and he learns how to create these boxes in his mind which stop some of the creatures from bothering him. The film shows then Dan as an adult or now known as Dan and and we see how The Shining was his trauma and that how this new film is his recovery. He ends up a alcoholic like his father, he gets sober and then starts to this new life as an orderly in a New Hampshire care home. His new life gives him the opportunity to attend Alcohol Anonymous meetings and also ability to use his gift to bring people peace before they die and this is what gives him the name Dr. Sleep. Now. What this story adds to it is that Dan is not alone with his shining. He also communicates with Abra Stone, who's played by Kieran, who has similar powers, though more powerful, and they have this connection over that. Now, this brings the attention of the gang of nomadic and also psychic vampires known as the True Knots, led by Rose the Hat, played by wonderfully by Ferguson. She's very charming, seductive, but also cold-blooded and sadistic as hell. Now, this film itself is very, visually impressive and terrifying, which is similar to the first film. However, where this film sets itself apart from the first film is in its story arc. We have a tragic character that King wanted to have in the original, and we see him progress over the course of the film, and it's a more emotional story than The Shining. However, the sequel is willing to show more gruesome violence, such as the murdering of children. Now, one thing that King always puts in his stories is the battle between good and evil, which usually is shown between humans 
Legends versus the Supernatural. Now, viewers of the first film know that the terror that Dan went through as a child, and the film shows what happens when one locks up things that they don't want to face. However, the film doesn't really go into Dan's current mental state, but there's enough emotion in McGregor's performance that that doesn't matter so much. The film explores both supernatural evil and the idea of inner demons. And the film also gives this small glimmer of hope in the darkest of times. And this is something that King wrote in the Abra character. She's full of light and confidence even in these darkest of times. However, in the final battle sequence, she could have been used a little bit more, but that's a small nitpick. Now, the runtime is about the same as the first one and is never boring. One could say that the opening is a little bloated, but it was needed to add in the core themes that Kubrick removed for his film. It then reconciled the differences to add in the supernatural elements of the story that King originally wanted while also allowing the two films to be connected. Now, I will say there are a few homage shots that could have been shown less because they aren't always needed, but Flanagan is a huge King fan and Frankly, he was the perfect director to take on this project. He understands the deeper and more compassionate themes of King's source material while also understanding the fandom behind the first film. Now, Flanagan's directional style is, is a little different from Kubrick's, so even some of the recreated shots don't mesh as well as one would like, but it's not badly done. However, this film does show the themes of trauma and family and the supernatural that King wanted to show originally originally with the first film. Now again, from a plot perspective, this new film definitely has more depth than The Shining because Flanagan allows the characters to have more emotion and thus more personality. And he ends up displaying this story that really shows that the world is a scary place full of evil things. And in some cases, they're very hungry. But there is still hope. However, from an artistic point of view, The Shining is definitely a better film when it comes to horror and realistic horror films. This goes a little bit more into the fantastical horror aspect of horror films, though it still has some of that realistic horror aspect. Now, when this film was released on physical media, it also had the director's cut of the film, which adds in another 24 minutes. Now, I hadn't seen this version of the film prior to this recording, so this was a new experience for me. This rendition had more polished visual effects and a stronger thematic connection between what happened Dan in the first film and how his experiences connect him with Abra. There's also some new footage at the Overlook Hotel and more dialogue between Dan and his mentor Dick Halloran played by Lumbee and this really does give some closure to Dan's relationship with his father Jack. However, most of the new material doesn't expand on the story, but it actually just enhances what's already strong in the theatrical cut. In comparison to the Midsummer's director's cut, which expands on the story and it makes everything more complete. And this one only enhances the things that existed in the theatrical cut. As I said in the last analysis, director's cut are usually the best version of a film. However, with this one, it's not 100% needed but it does make the experience slightly better. It honestly comes down to if you want to spend the extra time watching the film, because either of them are pretty good. 
Now, what did you think of either? And honestly, which one is better to you? Let me know. Hit me up on social media. The formal review is on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram, and also YouTube. The handle's all the same. It's at the formal review. And for anyone who has supported me on a financial basis, I thank you very much for supporting me in that way. For anyone who wants to support, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash the formal review and click support this podcast and any donation is appreciated. Thank you all again for tuning in. And until next time, watch your hands, get vaccinated, or if not, wear a mask. And I'll see you at the movies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the formal review. Cheers. And we'll see you next time.